Well, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 6 in the New Testament. If you're getting used to your Bibles, it's about three-fourths of the way back in the Gospel of Luke. If you're using one of the black Bibles in the seat rack nearby, it's on page 720. We're going to look at Luke 6, 27 through 36 today as we continue our series called The Life of Christ. If you look at the banners here, The Life of Christ is the series we've called this study in the Gospel of Luke. We're making our way through in the first six months of 2016, and we're looking at the words, the works, and the way of Jesus, and particularly paying attention to the way Jesus does life, the way Jesus sees life and sees people, and we want to learn that. And one of the things we've been reading every week is this series sentence, so I don't want to break custom. Let's do that again this Sunday. We want to be with Jesus so we can learn from Jesus how to be like Jesus. And we believe as we spend time in Luke's gospel, it is a privilege because we realize he's alive and he can actually, we can encounter him through the gospel. And uh, again, we want to do that today. Today, I want to talk to you about the tricky subject of loving enemies. Glad you came. It is probably one of the things that distinguishes Christianity from every other religion in the world. Uh, Please understand me. The great religions of the world all have some similar ethics. They agree that murder is wrong and stealing and things like that and liking and loving your family, all those things common. But when Jesus begins to talk about loving your enemies, he takes things into another stratosphere. There is no comparison in most of the religions about this and the way Jesus teaches it. I'll actually point that out more as we go along, some of the the fine points of that. But if if you're looking at the notes today, here's what I want you to see, is that Jesus' way, the words, the works, the way, Jesus' way is higher than ours and unnatural. Jesus' way is higher than ours and it's unnatural. And we're going to see that the way he calls us to live in this passage uh, is challenging for us because it will not come to us naturally. And uh, what I want to tell you is that today as I talk about loving your enemies and talk about being in relationships with difficult people, difficult relationships, people that have hurt us, as I talk about that, there's no way I could cover the whole subject before communion anyway, but I want to mention that if you're ever interested in listening to some other messages, some of you have told me that you listen to messages in the archives or online that's helpful for you sometimes as you work out or do other things, then here's just two or three dates that I'll give you if you want to listen. We've taught on this before. Last year, we did a series called Family Values. We talked about right relationships. We value right relationships. That was on January 18th, 2015. And then in the Ephesians series, In Christ, we talked about that when we came to the end of chapter four. That's October 18th. So January 18th, October 18th, 2015. You can find that in the archives on the website, cherryhillsfamily.org. And then also, Steve taught on this when we did the Sermon on the Mount series back in 2010, and it was an excellent message. You may want to listen to that one, March 7th, 2010, okay? So those are some things, but here's what I also want to just talk to you about. In this passage come the famous words, turn the other cheek. And when we get to those, we have a mixed reaction. There's something that works inside of us. On one hand, we go, my Jesus, that is noble. That's admirable. And the next thing we think of is, but that means that I just get run over or I just keep letting people harm me. Hmm, I'm not sure I know how to, and we feel this tension. 
And what I hope I can do today is show you that actually Jesus teaches with great balance, and even though he's been misunderstood, misinterpreted, that these texts have actually been used to justify all kinds of unjust behaviors and all kinds of other things. I hope you'll be able to see that Jesus teaches with consistent balance that we also find in the Old Testament. In fact, I've listed Micah 6.8. Some of you actually have put this verse to memory. I happen to list it in the English Standard Version, not because it's better, it's just because it kind of fits with what I want to say to you next. If you're following along in the notes, here's what I want you to see. Jesus teaches balance. And here's what he says. Do justice and love kindness. Do justice and love kindness. Let's read Micah 6.8, where it actually uses those two phrases in the second line. Let's read it. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Some of you learned it this way, to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Now, I want to just show you that this is a powerful, powerful way to understand uh, what Jesus is going to say, because when he talks about turn the other cheek and uh, um, treat, treat people you know, the way he's talking about in that text, he is not saying, just let them treat you any way they want to. And that's how some people understand that passage. He actually is holding up this same idea of, no, 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 in your relationships, this is tricky, but this is what I'm calling you to, I want you to learn how to do justice. I want you to learn how to act justly with people. Call them to justice. At the same time, do it without rancor or bitterness. Love kindness. Love mercy in your relationships with people. And uh, if you're following along the notes, that next line, I want you to see that Jesus advocates neither a vindictive nor a passive response. He, he, he does not advocate a vindictive or passive response, even though at first glance, as we read these verses in just a little bit, you're going to say, oh, I get it. I just, I'm just passive, and I just let people beat the tar out of me. No. No, he's not going to talk about that. Jesus didn't let that happen. The only time he let someone do that to him was when he laid down his life on our behalf. But what I want you to see is, is that vindictive is what comes most naturally to us. I mean, I, I would like to meet a person that's never had a desire to retaliate or be vindictive with somebody else. If you're here today, I'd like to meet you. You're the first human being that's ever lived that never had that natural response rise up. Now, that may not be your overall response, but we've all felt that, where I'm going to pay them back for what they just did to me. You hurt me, I'll hurt you. I'll, I'll amp it up a little bit even. Oh, but at the same time, it's not passive. So we're going to look at this text, and I, I wrestle with how to teach on this today, because, you know, there's several different ways that we could slice it. I wrestle with whether or not we should just try and answer the question, what does it mean to turn the other cheek, and just talk about that. Now, what I want you to know is I decided not just to try and answer that question, because this text is bigger than that, but I, I am going to answer that question inside the message. And here's, if you're looking at the outline, here's the things I think Jesus brings up in this passage. What's loving your enemies look like? In other words, I don't know about you, but part of the problem is I don't necessarily even have an imagination for that. He's got to renew my mind. He's got to give me an ability to think beyond what I've been schooled in in our culture. Remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus announced a radical reversal of values from the world's kingdom. So most of us, that's what we know. So we're used to 
you know, him blessing the rich, the powerful, all that. But instead, he says, woe to those of you who are rich. And he says, blessed are you who are poor. In other words, he's flipping the way that the world thinks. Those who are powerful in one sense, he says, woe to you. He's actually saying, woe to you who are oppressors. Woe to you who have the privileged position and you're using it to dominate other people. But blessed are you who understand that in the kingdom of God, humility and things like that are much more of a blessed way to live. So he talks about flipping their values. Now, he's going to really flip the values today. And what we're used to in the world's culture is thinking about vindictiveness or retaliation, what comes natural, this kind of thing. He's going to say, I don't want you to act like that. I don't want you to live like that. I want to show you a different way. And he wants to give us an imagination. So what's loving your enemies look like is the first thing we're going to cover. And then why love our enemies? <laughs> I don't know about you, but like, why? What in the world would that accomplish? And I really don't have time for that. Right? I mean, I, I, don't, I just don't see what the good of that is. So I want to talk about both those things because they're addressed in this passage. So, but before I do, can I, just, can I just ask you to pray with me? Because here's the deal. You don't need to hear from me. I don't need to hear from me. We need Jesus to talk to us. Because when Jesus shows us something, isn't it more powerful? Isn't the motivation different? And so let's just ask him to be our teacher today. Lord, I don't know how it works exactly, that as we gather around your word and we listen to you teach us through the scripture, that you, in your authority and your concern for us, you come near and you light up things in our mind and you help us see and you give us imagination for what we haven't ever been able to understand or imagine before. Please renew our minds with your word today so that we might understand this high calling that you've given us correctly. For Jesus' sake and for his glory. Amen. Okay, let's read this passage together. And uh, you'll notice in the second gray box that I've got you helping me read out loud right out of the gate. So let's start with verse 27 there in that second gray box, and then I'll read uh, the rest. (laughs) Sorry, I was going to take a breath, but that would have thrown you off, and I did throw you off. Okay, let's read it together. (laughs) But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. And then it goes on and says, if someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Now, let me pause for just a second. The context, picture Jesus saying these words. He's in Israel. And at that time, the Israelites are being uh, governed by a foreign power, Rome. So they're used to, in their towns, everywhere they look are Roman soldiers. And these Roman soldiers sometimes bully them. Sometimes they say, you've got to carry my stuff. Roman law says, you've got to carry my stuff for a mile. That's why in Matthew's version, he actually says, if they do that, go a second mile. Don't do what they expect. Don't act just naturally. Do something more. Fascinating stuff. And so he's saying some of these similar things. So can you imagine as they're listening, they're going, what? I don't like those people. And you're telling me to react differently? Come on. But then comes this verse, 31. Maybe you've never seen where this was in the Bible before. Do to others as you would have them do to you. What's that called in our culture, commonly known as the golden rule? Verse 32. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? 
Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. And then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. This week I was just thinking a lot about this passage and I wrote something down and I don't, I don't know if it's always wise to share with you different thoughts to write down, but maybe this would. Here, here's what I wrote. In these words, Jesus is inviting us, challenging us to love. He's reminding us that our greatest and truest purpose in this world is to actively love. Loving our enemies is a frightening invitation, yes. But not loving them is frightening too. All the more frightening for learning to love our enemies will make us bigger. Not loving them will make us smaller. He's inviting us to allow God to do something creative and mysterious in us and through us, just as he did when he invited Mary to carry and allow her to have Jesus be born in her so that he could touch the world through that. In a similar way, he wants to birth something in you and me. He wants to do something so supernatural that yes, it's scary, but it actually, in the long run, will make us bigger, not smaller people. And that helps me as I think about these verses. So as we talk about what's loving your enemies look like, what's an enemy? What's an enemy? Here's a definition I can put on the screen. I don't know if this is helpful to have this. It's just, there's lots of different ways to say it, but an enemy is a person who opposes, is hostile towards, or tries to harm another. An enemy is a person who opposes, is hostile towards, or tries to harm another. Uh, you know, don't you? I mean, within that definition, there are a whole spectrum. Some of us may be mildly mistreated, and some people can be violently mistreated. There can be physical harm, emotional harm, relational harm. There can be all kinds of things like that. Probably the best way for you to get the most out of when you study a passage like this is ask yourself this question. Is there someone in my life who's hurt me? I'm not talking about trying to help you become a better victim here. I'm just asking you to think about, is there someone that if you look back in your past, whenever you think of them, you think about how they hurt you, how they harmed you? Or is there a person that every time you think about them, you just go, they are very difficult for me to want to love. And when you ask yourself the question, then you can listen to a lot of what Jesus is saying through that, and it may actually help you get to the more specific place that Jesus wants to get to of helping you live these words out. But here's the first idea if you're following along. I want you to see, what does he mean, love? Agape love is the word he uses in this text, and I'll explain that in just a second. But agape love, here's what it means. It means deciding to love even if they don't merit love. Agape love means deciding to love even if they don't merit love. Kent Hughes is helpful here. Some of you know the New Testament is written in Greek language. So here it is. There are several words for love in the Greek language. 
Jesus did not here command storge, which is natural affection. He did not command eros, which is romantic love. He did not command philia, you know, Philadelphia, friend, love of friendship. He demanded agape love. Such love is not motivated by the merit of the one who is loved. It is a deliberate love rooted in the will, a love by choice. Agape love says, I will love this person because by God's grace, I choose to love this person. Now, this is why this is countercultural to everything we've been schooled in, friends. If you were to ask what most people commonly, whether they say it out loud or not, believe love is, is that love is a feeling that hits me. Therefore, if you're waiting for the feeling to love your enemies to hit you, you may wait a long time. You may wait forever. But if love, the way Jesus is talking about, is not a feeling, but it's a decision, if it's a choice, if it's an act of the will, if it's intentional, if it takes initiative rather than waiting to be initiated upon, then that's different. And that kind of love is what Jesus is talking about. Therefore, that means that you may not feel like loving someone and you can still decide to love them. Amazing mystery. And Jesus knows what he's talking about. So what does that mean, this idea of love? I want to just be crystal clear here. I want you to see that it means to love, if you're following along, with healthy boundaries. It means to love with healthy boundaries. This is where I want to spend most of the time in the message, right here. Because when I talked to you about earlier, do justice, love kindness, Jesus is talking about boundaries. I want you to understand, sometimes people go, no, look, Jesus, Jesus let people beat him and kill him and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, only in that situation. And that was because it was preordained for him to lay down his life as a perfect sacrifice for us. Think back with me in chapter four, when he was in his own hometown. Do you remember how jazzed they were about his teaching? So jazzed that they got mad and wanted to push him off the cliff? Did he go, okay, I guess that's what it means to love my enemies. No. First he said to them, I know what you're thinking and this is what you expect from me. I'm not gonna come through for you on that. I can't come through for you on that. You're aiming too low. Second of all, when they try to push him off the cliff, he goes, excuse me, I'm not gonna allow you to treat me like that. And he walked through the crowd. In other situations, you'll see, for instance, they come to him, the religious leaders, and go, answer us this question. He goes, well, I'll ask you a question and if you answer my question, then I'll answer your question, which was very Jewish rabbi stuff. It was kind of like, you know, you know uh, what do you call that uh, kind of uh, martial arts kind of stuff with the Bible. But anyway, so he asks a question like that, and when they, when they refuse to answer his question, he says, then neither will I answer your question. See, I want you to understand, Jesus doesn't say, just because someone decides they want to do something to it, you have to lay down and, and take it. Jesus did not do that. He asked for healthy boundaries in a relationship. And so what does it mean when he says, turn the other cheek? Let's talk about that for a second. If, if you've ever seen Middle Eastern culture, you know they don't shake hands. What do they do? They kiss each other. Men and men, women, women. It's a, it's a cheek on cheek kind of thing. They kiss them like that as a way of welcoming and greeting each other. So this idea in this culture was this, that if you slapped someone on the face, instead of taking advantage of them being good friends, what were you doing? You were insulting them and you were belittling them. So Jesus is not saying, when they slap you on the cheek, just keep holding it there. No, what he's saying is, no, 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 no. 
reset the relationship and give them another chance to aim higher than that kind of injustice. Turn the other cheek with the courage of inviting them to be a better version of themselves than they are. And that, when you understand that, that's completely different. And the idea here is that sometimes what we do instead is that we get so caught up in being right when we've been mistreated or been unjustly treated that we become more interested in being right than relating rightly. Back in the Colossians series several years ago, I said how I was preparing one day. We were talking about marriage, family relationships, different relationships we have. And I had this overwhelming question where since the Lord just saying, Jeff, right now in this situation with this person, are you more interested in being right or relating rightly? I can't, healthy boundaries are about this. Boundaries that say, this is my part. This is my responsibility. This is your part. This is your responsibility. You're trying to get me to do your part and my part right now, and I can't come through for you, or I'm not going to come through for you on that. I'm going to ask you to do justice. I'm going to say it in a tone that's kind and loving and merciful and genuinely cares about your best, but I'm not going to be able to come through for you on that. So healthy boundaries when they're thinking like that is so important. And again, I want you to notice that even in Jesus' trial, when it says that he did not speak back when people falsely accused him. There was one moment in the trial, John 18, if you ever want to look at this, where he gets slapped in the face. And he says to the person that slapped him, pardon me, when you just slapped me, what did I just do that was illegal? If you can show me, then I'll apologize. But I did not do anything wrong. You just did something unjust to me. But did he say it hatefully? Did he say it in a way that made the other person feel totally humiliated without a chance to change his mind? He invited him to say, hey, come on. I want to reset the relationship on a better footing than what you just put it on. Let's go. And Jesus did that. The Apostle Paul, when he actually was beaten uh, in Philippi, in Acts 16, you can read about this, the leaders beat him without a trial. So they wanted him to quietly leave town Well, they found out he was a Roman citizen and Roman law did not allow people to not give a fair trial. So, but Paul could have said, okay, I'll just leave town with my tail between my legs. No, he said, "Um, those guys are gonna have to come and apologize to me for not giving me a just trial. But he didn't say it hatefully. He just said, hey, I'm calling you to justice. Friends, this is huge because a lot of people think, and and why, why do people tend to take a passive view? Because a lot of times we wanna protect ourselves, peace at any price. It's a lot of work to do what I'm talking about. Sometimes it's just easier to go, well, you know. So let me read something that Tim Keller says, okay? This is really helpful. He says, Jesus says on one hand, you're not supposed to, when the person strikes you on the cheek, keep the cheek there so they can keep on hitting you, nor do you slap them on their cheek, but instead you turn the other cheek. What does that mean? Well, it's radical. What it means is that you put the relationship on a new footing. You start over with a concern for both justice and kindness. Do justice, love kindness. I once heard this happen, he writes. I happened to be in a room when I heard a grown woman talking to her father on the phone. This is what I heard. She was quiet for a minute, and then suddenly she said, Dad... I want you to know, and I've told you before, that I cannot allow you to talk to me like that or to mom like that. 
I've told you before that we won't put up with it, and therefore I'm going to hang up right now in the middle of your sentence. I want you to know I care for you, and I love you, and I really want to have a good relationship with you, but if you're willing to change, I'm willing to work on it, but I'm not going to listen to you talk to me like that, so I will call back later. I care a lot about you. And then she hung up. Don't you see what she did? She doesn't withdraw. She makes herself available. She says, if you're willing to change, I want a relationship. That's what it means to turn the other cheek, to give the person the chance to kiss you this time instead of hit you. What it means to turn the other cheek is to say, I want a relationship, but it has to be on the footing of justice and love. Do justice and love kindness, not one or the other. And so I just so much I could say here. Let me just say this. I'll say this delicately. When I was in seminary, I had a classmate who was sharing her story one day. When she was a teenager, her mother had married a man who became her stepfather, and he got drunk every weekend, and he raped her often. She came to know Jesus at this tough time in her teenage years, and as she got to know Jesus better, she realized that Jesus was not asking her to put up with that kind of behavior. One night when he came home, she had the courage to say to him, you will not touch me anymore like that. You will not keep disrespecting me. That is not a healthy relationship, and I will not put up with it. She knew the risk that he might beat her, that he might kill her. She knew all that was possible, but she had decided that she was going to do justice and still say it in a kind way no matter what. I don't know if he was too drunk or he just didn't have enough fight in him or Jesus actually blessed her words, but he stopped that very night and she was able to put a boundary that established any possibility of there ever being a healthy relationship ever in the future because she understood that this does not mean love kindness but not do justice. And friends, please understand, Jesus is asking us to call out the best in people not letting them continue. Does it do them good? Will they turn out to be a better person if they keep doing these awful things? No. Are there some people that will never respond to that? See, here's the other thing as Americans. We think that if we just do the things Jesus asked, then the results will turn out to be the results we want. Not true. Friends, Jesus left this earth with a whole bunch of enemies still hating him. He still left this earth with very much attempts to have healthy boundaries. Have you seen Romans 12, 18 before? This verse has helped me many times. Look at it with me. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. In other words, what's my part? How do I relate rightly in this situation, Lord? Not how are they relating to me rightly or not. Is this turning out to have the results I want? Lord, I will relate rightly whether the results turn out to ever be what I want. God, show me how to do what you want me to do. That's the powerful thing. So the next thing I want you to see is that he actually spells this out in three ways. He says this, do good to them as you want to be treated. Do good to them. And he actually spells it out. He says, give to them, lend to them, be willing to do those kind of things at times. Now, a lot of times I've heard people say, see, Jesus is just saying the same thing as Mahatma Gandhi said. Jesus is just saying the same thing the rabbis of his day was saying. Not true. It's close, but it's a radical difference. And here's the fine point of it. If you study the rabbis of Jesus' day, if you study the other world religions and other people that said similar things to the golden rule, here's how they said it. They said it in a negative form. 
Don't do to someone what you don't want them to do to you. In other words, restrain yourself from doing things that you don't want people to do for you, do to you. So it's kind of a self-protective smart thing, right? Like you make sure that you set the tone by not doing those things. But Jesus goes the other way. He goes positive. He says, no, do to them what you want them to do to you. Complete different spirit. So what does it mean to do good? Years ago, I I read this story and it, it stayed with me. Watchman Nee tells about a Chinese Christian who owned a rice paddy next to one owned by a communist man. This is before, again, the communism was very strong in the 40s. And the Christian irrigated his paddy by pumping water out of a canal using one of those leg-operated pumps that make the user appear to be seated on a bicycle. Every day, after the Christian had pumped enough water to fill his rice field, the communists would come out, remove some of the boards that kept the water in the Christian's field, and let all the water flow down into his own field. That way, he didn't have to pump. This continued day after day. Finally, the Christian prayed, Lord, if this keeps up, I'm going to lose all my rice, maybe even my field. I've got a family to care for. What can I do? So he talked with some other Christians, and he asked them to begin praying with him. What do I do with this enemy? How do I respond differently than I want to respond? And in answer to his request, the Lord put a thought in his mind. So the next morning, he arose much earlier in the pre-dawn hours of darkness and started pumping water into the field of his communist neighbor. Then he replaced the boards and pumped water into his own rice paddy. And in a few weeks, both fields of rice were doing well. And later, this communist was converted to Christ. Now, the stories don't always turn out like that. But here's the thing. That guy could sleep well at night because he knew that he had listened to the Lord and was relating rightly to that guy, whether that guy related rightly or ever became a Christian or whatever. And when you and I begin to understand that this is what Jesus is talking about, he's calling us to this because that is the only way to really become the person that he wants us to become like him. And so do good to those that you want, as you want to be treated. The second thing is bless those who curse you. Bless those who curse you. Wow, this is powerful. Now, this relates, friends, not only to the way we talk about our enemies, but it also relates to the way we think about our enemies in our minds. Did you realize that you can actually bless a person in your heart, bless a person in your mind the way you think about them, or you can curse them in your heart? And this is where I've found the real battle lies. This idea has changed my life. I'm not going to stand before you and say, I've experienced the worst enemies that God you know, can allow or permit. But I will tell you that I've had to learn how to navigate a number of difficult relationships. And this idea of blessing instead of cursing has just radically hit me. First Peter 3.9, look at what this says. Peter, again, following Jesus, learned this. He says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. I think, do we also have that in the message paraphrase? No retaliation, no sharp tongue sarcasm. Instead, bless. That's your job, to bless. You'll be a blessing and also get a blessing. So here's what happens. Sometimes I'm getting ready in the morning, I'm standing at the mirror, and all of a sudden, if there's someone that's hurt me or someone that's been antagonistic to me, all of a sudden I will have thoughts about them go through my mind and it'll be the worst version of them. And it'll replay and replay and they'll go, yeah, and and here's another thing about them. And all of a sudden I demonize that person to a version that's like, 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 that I feel good about my, my read on the situation. 
The Lord has challenged me and said, you can demonize that person or you can bless them. And I want to teach you how to think about any good quality they might have, anything that might make you understand them from a more loving perspective rather than just automatically relegating them to the worst human scum of the earth. And friends, I don't know how your mind works, but the other thing is I've noticed that when I get sideways with someone or I get hurt by someone, my temptation is to speak out of the side of my mouth about that person in a way that's not healthy. It is not a blessing. It's not a blessing for the other people to hear it, and it's not a blessing about them. But if you and I begin to bless instead of curse, I don't know how to explain this. Jesus said, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Friends, I don't know how to explain this, but something supernatural begins to happen when you and I begin to bless someone instead of curse them. Something begins to shake loose in our hard hearts. Something begins to soften. But then he goes on. There's one more thing. And look at this one. It's pray and keep praying for them. Seek their good if you're following along. Pray and keep praying for them. Seek their good. When Jesus says pray for those who mistreat you, the verb tense there is pray and keep on praying for them. What do we pray? Oh God, I want to pray that you would do them good. They haven't done me good. And everything inside of me wants to pray that you'll do them bad. But teach me how to pray like you pray. And I don't know if it's affected you like it's affected me, but every time I think of Jesus on the cross, as they were pounding nails into his hands and feet, his executioners overheard these words coming off his lips. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. In other words, don't let them experience the consequences of their actions. I don't want them to be cursed. I want them to have a chance to be blessed. And then he says this incredibly insightful thing. They don't know what they're doing. They knew exactly what they were doing. They thought they knew. But what he's saying is the only way sometimes you'll be able to pray for people is if you can acknowledge they're blind. They don't see exactly how they're coming across. They don't see what they're doing to me necessarily. And even if they do, they're blind to how serious it is. They're blind to justice. Oh, Jesus, help me pray like that. And when you and I begin to do that, oh my goodness, that is a reversal of values. And Jesus is calling us into that. If you're following along, here's the question. Why love our enemies? I'll, I'll move through this quickly. First, he says, it's more than those without Jesus do. It's more than those without Jesus do. I, when I learned this when I was younger, he said this. If you love those who love you, what more are you doing than others? Even sinners do that. You know, he's saying, like, even the mafia works like that. The mafia likes the mafia. As long as they don't cross each other. As long as they, so it's, you know, to say that you love someone who already loves you, that standard is pretty easy to hit. I once said it this way. That's like me bragging that I can bench press more than my grandmother. <laughs> that's like me going, oh, look how loving I am. No, that's natural. You want to love like Jesus? Then you love people that don't merit it and don't necessarily love you. He goes, that's what I'm calling you to. And there's something about it waiting on the other side of obedience that you cannot see right now, but trust me. Second thing is, it's the way our Father has treated us. 
It's the way our father has treated us. He says, look, look in verse 35 at the end there. He says, children of the most high because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Does he wait for the ungrateful and wicked to be grateful and less wicked before he's kind to them? No. He says, I already decided. I'm choosing. I'm intentional. I'm initiating love towards you, kindness towards you before you ever give a rip about me. And you may be indifferent about me. You may snub me. You may not. And God has offered that kind of kindness and love to the wicked and the righteous. He does not wait till someone merits it. And Jesus says, if you want to understand how the father thinks and the father sees people, he does not make his decision based on merit. Third thing is the reward of being like him is great. He says, look, your reward will be great. What does he mean by that? The depth of fellowship you'll know when you're wrestling and walking through and learning how to love your enemies as tricky and tough as that is and sometimes as long and many layered as it is, you will begin to discover that you are more closely related. The family resemblance is starting to come out of you as imperfectly as that may be and the reward in your life will be so rewarding. You will not ultimately regret that you're learning how to love your enemies. Wow. So how do we get there? How do we get there? This next line is what I want you to see. How can I pass on the mercy you've shown me? How can I pass on the mercy you've shown me? Do you remember that verse? The last verse of this text. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. This is huge. Out to the right, I list Matthew 18. Jesus was once asked by Peter, one of his disciples, who was exasperated by someone who kept violating and trespassing on him. He goes, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? And then he, he, he was really proud of himself. He goes, seven times? Kind of like, I'll do more than one or two. Seven times? Jesus goes, uh, you're shooting a little low. Seventy times seven. And then he tells this incredible parable of the unmerciful servant who had a debt the size of a national debt, but he decided to plead mercy from the king, and the king said, I'll forgive you, the whole debt. As he's leaving the king's chambers, he sees a guy that owes him a few bucks by comparison, and he starts to grab him, choke him, and drive him to the ground and say, pay me what you owe right now. And he says, give me time. And the guy says, no, and he throws him in the slammer until he could pay off the debt. When the king finds out about this, look at what he says in Matthew 18. This is powerful. And the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And friends, here's the secret. You want to know how you get a soft enough heart to love your enemies? You want to know where the driving motivation comes to love someone who doesn't love you? The mercy of God to you. When you and I understand what we really deserve and how big our national debt size debt was with God, and he chose, he decided while we were still sinners, while we were still his enemies, to show mercy to us, it'll change your heart. And it'll set you on a path where now you can pass on the mercy he gave to you. And if you're here and you go, I didn't need much mercy. I hope you'll rethink that. You may be a little blind. I've certainly been. But when we understand 
the price he paid to do us good, to bless us instead of curse us, and that we really were his enemies. Like Colossians 1.21 says, look at this verse as we prepare for communion. This is an incredible verse. I've thought about it this week. It says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. I mean, has anybody here straight-armed God? Has anybody snubbed God? Has anybody blown God off? Has anybody said, I'm not doing what you say, God? I don't care if you say it. All of us have. Enemies. Hostile sometimes. Indifferent. And he said, I want you to know my mercy. I'm calling you to justice, but I'm calling you to mercy. And that was when he took care of justice on the cross by paying the penalty. He didn't say, oh, it doesn't matter if you sinned against me. He said, it matters a lot, and I'll pay the justice, but I'll also show you mercy. And that's why we come to the communion table. And that's where we get the power to pass on his mercy. And so here's the last line. Thanks, Lord, for loving me when I was ungrateful and your enemy. I want to end with this story before we take communion. Ken Hughes, my pastor in Wheaton, told this story. He says, several years ago, one of my wife's friends took a missionary furlough with her husband and family after an unusually tiring stint of service. She'd been looking forward to this time with great anticipation. For the first time, she was going to have a place of her own, a new large townhouse-style apartment with a patio. She's very creative and made the patio the focus of her decoration. After a few months, some new neighbors moved in. The best word to describe them would be coarse. There was loud music day and night, along with a constant flow of obscenities. They urinated in the front yard in broad daylight. They totally disrupted her peace. She could see nothing good in them. She asked the Lord to help her be more loving, but all she got back was disgust and rejection. The crisis came when she returned home to discover that her neighbor's children had sprayed orange paint all over her beautiful patio, the walls, the floor, everything. She was distraught and furious. She tried to pray, but found herself crying out, I cannot love them, I hate them. Knowing that she had to deal with the sin in her own heart, she began to converse with the Lord in her inner being, and a scripture came to mind, and beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. In her heart, she questioned, Lord, how do I put on love? The only way she could picture it was like putting on a coat. So that is what she determined to do. She chose to wrap herself in the love of God, and as a result, she began to experience a deeper life of Christ within her. She made a list of what she would do if she really loved her exasperating neighbors, and then she did what she listed. She baked cookies. She offered to babysit for free. She invited the mother over for coffee, and the most beautiful thing happened. She began to know and understand them. She began to see that they were living under tremendous pressures. She began to love her enemies. She did good to them. She lent to them without expecting anything back. And the day came when they moved, and she cried. An unusual, unconventional love had captured her heart, a supernatural love, the love of Jesus. So here's what I want to ask you to do during communion. Will you use this time to review your relationships? Is there anyone that comes to mind who's hurt you, who's been adversarial to you, who's been like an enemy to you? If anybody comes to mind that's difficult for you to love like that, will you let Jesus talk to you? 
about what he wants to show you because he's interested in making us bigger, not smaller. And so when we take communion, here's what's going to happen. The men will pass trays up and down the rows. And if you've never taken it with us before, please don't feel awkward about that. If you're a Christian, if you've trusted Christ, even if you're part of another church, please take this. This is in our table. It's his table. But if you have not yet trusted Christ, two thoughts. One, if he's been leading you to trust Christ, you realize you could do that right now in this moment. And that would be the very first thing you do, taking communion as a brand new Christian. But if you're not ready to trust Christ and call on him in repentance and faith, then we would just ask, we understand that that's a process sometimes and we want to respect that process with you. But we would just ask, let the tray pass respectfully. No one will look down on you. We want to be able to take this with the right meaning and the right heart of remembering Jesus. And just use this time to think about where you are with Jesus because he's interested in you. So when you do get the cup and the juice, it's a double cup, just hold on to it till we can all take it together. But use this time to review relationships. Is it a family member? Is it a classmate? Is it a coworker? Is it a neighbor? Who is it? Someone from your past? Ask Jesus what he wants you to know about that today. I know you know this, but sometimes one of the best ways to handle the, the wrestling match inside our hearts about loving people that have hurt us is to ask someone else to pray with us, pray for us. It doesn't mean that everything all of a sudden, voila, gets fixed in that moment, but it's the beginning of opening ourselves up to the mercy of God doing a greater work in our life. So please know that always, there's always, every Sunday, if you ever need to use that kind of prayer in community, always available to down front, we'd love for this place down front to be a welcoming place to you. But in the meantime, can I pray for you? I didn't tell you, but years ago, our family got hurt by someone, man, and we had this guy for dinner every week. We just get caught in these cycles. And I just remember one day, one of us just said, we got to stop this. We got to pray. We got to do this Jesus way. It's killing us. It's eating us up inside. And that was the beginning, a turning point. And so let me just pray, Lord, wherever people are, and I know there's been some offenses, some violations, some difficult things that I have no way of fully appreciating. Only you do. I pray over our church family, may your mercy flow, not only into us, but through us and from us that we might have something to show this community that's you and not us. In your name we pray, amen. God bless you.